From the newsroom of Impact Alpha, I'm Brian Walsh, and this is your Impact Briefing for Friday, August 19th. Today, I'm joined by our roundtable regulars, Imogen Rhodes-Smith and David Bank, to discuss the weaponization of ESG and the ironies embedded within the recently signed Inflation Reduction Act. Imogen is an Impact Alpha contributing editor. Hi, Imogen. Hi, Brian. And David is Impact Alpha's editor and CEO. Hi, David. Hey to both of you, Brian and Imogen. It's been a while. It's been a minute. And I look forward to our conversation. But first, here's what you need to know from this week in Impact Investing. Community lenders are looking to carve out a role for themselves in a new green bank fund created by the Inflation Reduction Act. Details of the law are still coming into focus, including the Greenhouse Gas Reduction Fund, which will be a green bank type facility that will channel $27 billion to hard to finance decarbonization efforts, particularly in low income communities. Critics have seized on language which specifies that only not-for-profit, non-deposit-taking entities can access the funds. That could rule out a wide swath of minority-owned banks and community lenders. Some community finance experts see room for for-profit community lenders. The Environmental Protection Agency, which will oversee the fund, has 180 days to design it and begin making grants. Many philanthropies went into self-preservation mode in 2020 amid a global pandemic and racial justice reckoning. In contrast, Ford, Rockefeller, MacArthur, and at least six other foundations moved to increase their giving to meet what the Ford Foundation's Darren Walker called an existential challenge to the future of the nonprofit sector. Together, these foundations issued almost $3 billion in what are called social bonds, Ford has spent more than $900 million of the $1 billion it alone raised. More than 70% of the grants that Ford made have gone to organizations led by people of color. Urban Innovation Fund secured $121 million for its Smart Cities Fund. As many as five out of six people in the U.S. live in urban areas. The San Francisco-based fund will support 30 early-stage tech startups working in transportation, public health, the future of work, energy, and sustainability. Despite the slowdown in tech funding, Urban Innovation said it added a $20 million co-fund for follow-on rounds to meet strong investor demand. And finally, the International Finance Corporation, IFC, partnered with Aspiration and a $10 million fund to lift the quality of carbon credits. The low quality of many carbon credits from nature-based solutions has held back the growth in the so-called voluntary carbon market. You may know Aspiration as an eco-friendly digital bank, but is also both one of the largest developers of and investors in nature-based carbon credits. The Carbon Opportunities Fund will initially source up to 700,000 high-quality credits, each representing a metric ton of carbon, and they'll tokenize them. Other partners include biodiversity investor Cultivo and blockchain firm provider Chia Network. It wasn't that long ago when hardly anyone knew what ESG was, but suddenly the term is now everywhere. At least 17 states are working on anti-ESG laws, laws that would ban banks that are cutting out fossil fuels or gun makers, supporting abortion, or committing other sins of what they describe as wokeness. So David, how is this ESG backlash playing out? 
Well, it's causing a kind of a, the beginnings of a shakeup among banks and asset managers that, uh, you know, do business in these states. Um, and, you know, it's already having some, you know, real world effects. One of the things that kind of put a point on it this week was the rollout of a fund from an outfit called Strive Asset Management under the ticker uh, title uh, DRLL or Drill. And it's specifically not managed by one of these asset managers or banks, um, namely BlackRock or JP Morgan, that are being uh, essentially uh, banned in, in some of these states. And so it's raising money from folks who, you know, in, in places where those folks can't can't get. And in its first week, it raised more than 100 million bucks uh, and traded like something like $160 million, uh, run by a guy named Vivek Ramaswani, who wrote Woke Inc. So he's trying to basically um, play the play the the game to um, capture the folks who don't want anything to do with with ESG. What these was the legislation that's happening in these states, and they're basically all following the same playbook and the language is is similar, although there are slight distinctions. But effectively, what they're doing is they're targeting two things. They're saying you can't invest in businesses that are basically attacking the fossil fuel industry or to their mind attacking the, the fossil fuel industry because that's not really true. And also um, the states can't contract with these businesses. So from an investment management standpoint, so historically there have always, there's long been, there's a long history of sort of effectively divestment legislation, right? So going back to the anti-apartheid movement and trying to get pension plans and other stakeholders to stop investing in companies that were doing business in apartheid South Africa. Fast forward, we had the Sudan divestment movement, um, the, the, the Israel divestment movement, um, and that was not doing business with companies that were threatening Israel. And, and this is just the next turn of the, the wheel. Traditionally, what's happened in investment offices is you get given the, like, so in this case, the treasurer or the controller is giving out a list of these are the companies that you can't invest in. From an investment perspective, the out has kind of historically been you can, unless not investing in them violates your fiduciary duty, right? So here's a list of things, like, so on the fossil fuel divestment side, right? If the, if someone comes out and says you have to divest from fossil fuel, unless doing so is against your fiduciary duty, I as an allocator can say, well, divesting from the whole fossil fuel sector doesn't make any sense. So thank you very much, state legislatures, but I'm not going to do that. What is different about this? which is what makes this new asset management firm so interesting, is it's also saying you can't do business with those companies. So if BlackRock's on the naughty list because BlackRock is running around talking about climate change and the states come out and say BlackRock is a company that you can't do business with, it's going to be very hard for allocators in those states to allocate more money to BlackRock especially because BlackRock is an index fund. So they can just go out and find another fund that doesn't, you know, quote unquote, support this work agenda. So that's, that's what's making these laws arguably a much bigger deal than what has happened in the past. That's what makes this law have teeth, as you say, and it does mean real fees and stuff for the asset managers. 
But the irony of it is that in many cases, these states are going to be paying more for getting their bonds out there. They're either going to not get as good a pricing because they don't have as good a, a manager. You know, they might go with regional managers. There's a story that um, that uh, Texas put out a bond and may have may have cost itself several hundred millions of dollars. Um, and they're they're paying more. For, they're almost biting off their nose to spite their face. They say that ESG is cutting their performance and then they're cutting their own performance. They absolutely are. And part of it, and that's, you know, it, it, to me, like, long term it's this feels like it's going to be a bigger problem for texas than it is for jp morgan right at the end of the day sure like you know the muni bond desk at jp morgan's a bit sad and you know people who work for jp morgan in texas and can no longer work for jp morgan in texas are going to be sad but it it's more negatively going to impact the ability of these states to function than it is some of these wall street firms that they're targeting but the other, I mean, you kind of feel a little bit for BlackRock, right? Because it's on the one hand, it's like we spend all this time getting attacked by the activists because they're continuing to support the fossil fuel industry. You know, Larry Fink comes out, does his dog, dog and pony show and gets everyone on the right angry because, you know, they're pro ESG. It's like they're almost like losing on both sides of the trades. And it's not like, again, it's not like the banks aren't still financing the fossil fuel industry. But again, the, the, the lawmakers don't care, right? What's happening here is, is you're having state legislatures that have been you know, hijacked by the MAGA crowd that are putting, putting in place laws that have real life implications that they're not even thinking through because they don't really care. They just want to pursue you know, this anti-woke agenda at all costs. And that win, and, and so it's sort of, you know, this is just part of the broader political environment in which we find ourselves right and it's, it's sort of you know somewhat naive to assume that esg wasn't going to become a target for this right it's it's this this idea of short term versus long term and short term it's worth the cost uh to the these states uh to in order to own the libs is worth the cost of you know worst financing and and a lower returns for them um as opposed to long term realizing that uh you know, exiting and transitioning from fossil fuel, the fossil fuel economy is actually going to be good for the long-term material financial performance of these underlying investments. It's interesting that you, you know, the way, the way you laid out, you know, BlackRock's contradiction, you're sort of damned if you do, damned if you don't. And it's kind of um, an interesting contradiction in this whole discussion, which is that the ESG opponents, you know, sort of paint the ESG movement as this um, encroaching, you know, transformation of finance. And they, you know, the, the premise of Woke Inc. is that the left has taken over corporate America and is pursuing this woke agenda from the high, you know, high precincts of corporate America, you know, whereas, you know, on the so-called left or whatnot, people are saying, you know, that ESG has sort of failed to live up to his promise to to really make any much of a dent in, in impact. So you have the sort of two sides kind of flip, flipping, flipping on the on the argument. Yeah, I mean, again, I think that along these lines, I think, the example of Disney is is such a fascinating one, right? Because you, you don't think of Disney as being a woke, progressive company, quite the opposite. And but purely by taking a stand on gay rights, suddenly, you know, it has this massive target on its back. And, you know, the governor literally changed the tax policy to punish Disney. Like, how how is that a Republican agenda. It's, it's almost the opposite. And so that's sort of, I mean, again, it's, it's part of this broader place that we find ourselves in, 
where there's this sort of upside down logic that is happening to a lot of these discussions on basically the right that are also like largely being done in bad faith. And then this is just a further example of it. Won't there be kind of a natural experiment? I mean, there will be, you know, at some level, you know, you know, whether ESG does or doesn't exact a cost or, or on the other hand, generate a premium. I mean, we'll, you know, there will be some portfolios, obviously, that go in that direction. Now it sounds like there'll be other portfolios that yeah, but the problem go in is other is directions. Like most, we'll of this is, most of this is indexing, right? Like, that's the point. Like, I can, you know, I need to, to take this into consideration so long as it doesn't violate my fiduciary duty. But if I'm just indexing, I don't violate my fiduciary duty by picking another index manager instead of BlackRock assuming, you know, it's a decent manager. So I don't know, and I could be wrong, but I don't know that this is really going to impact allocation decisions so much as it's going to impact manager selection decisions. Can you can you walk us through that distinction? Yeah. So if it's just a passively managed product, then there's no, there's no over-under performance that comes from the manager itself, right? It's just an index. If I'm picking an active manager and therefore there is some, I'm assuming there's some kind of skill associated with that manager and that's why I'm choosing that manager, then that's it's sort of my fiduciary duty to do a good job in, in picking those managers, right? That's, that's the hard part of my job. Right. I, in theory, can turn around to the legislature and say, well you telling me not to invest in this renewable energy manager violates my fiduciary duty because, you know, it, I can see that like clean energy is a big trend, whatever, whatever it is, I can still go ahead and make that investment. However, you can see how the political backlash might be such that I really don't want to go anywhere near that renewable energy investment. Um, so in that regard, I think human decision-making may have an impact on performance. But again, it's probably marginal because the majority of these assets are indexed. Which is just just, just to the point that this Strive uh, uh, fund has no real investment idea. As you say, it's just a BlackRock index fund. All, his only idea was, oh, there's going to be all this money that doesn't want to go into into BlackRock and, and, and JP Morgan and other places. For, and I can raise a, a hullabaloo around around wokeness and, and create a, a brand for myself and, and collect. And I think fees. I think that is smart, right? Like most of these kind of like, you know, Trump acolyte ETFs raise like, you know, $200 million and don't do anything. But if you could actually create a viable alternative index business, I'm not talking about like, you know, drill, I'm talking about you literally have like the S&P 500 index product but you're not BlackRock and these states, because it's not just BlackRock, right? It's state streets on the list. Like if, if the major asset management businesses are all being sort of chastised for their ESG agenda and you can set up a viable alternative, you could actually raise you know enough money to make a viable business. Like that's, you know, it's cynical and I disagree, but it's kind of smart. So speaking of ironies and contradictions, we have the new Inflation Reduction Act that while it has funding for renewable energy and climate mitigation approaches, it also has uh, continued funding for fossil fuels and the like. Imogen, you've looked into this a bit. Yeah, so I'm surprisingly bullish on the Inflation Reduction Act, actually. I, I think that, yeah, I understand the environmental activists being upset that any money at this point is going towards fossil fuels. Um, and I understand that in the political climate that we're in, 
we're never going to get the level of legislation that we need to really confront the, the climate crisis. But this bill does quite a lot. And I actually think that, you know, that the way to get climate legislation done is to couple it with fossil fuel legislation. So I think that this is because if you think about it from a sort of pragmatic electoral math perspective, there is, you know, it's not just West Virginia, there are a bunch of states that have large fossil fuel industries and voters in those states who want to keep their jobs or don't want, you know, the price of gas to go up. And so strategically tying these two things together makes a lot of sense. So instead of them being seen as green on the one hand and and fossil on the other hand and 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 ever ever they should go to war with each other, you're saying tie them together and so as and make it an all of the above energy strategy that lowers prices and uh, et cetera et cetera and every and then you can build a, a cross party alliance for it. Yeah, well, Democrats aren't going to continue to die on that hill. That you actually make it something that is 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 more attractive and is more palatable. And it isn't being seen as what we were just talking about. And, and, and so if you can come up with ways that continue to sort of try and help, like, you know, Texas or Utah or wherever it is, but also transition to a green economy, then that is much more palatable and much more appealing than just trying to alienate that entire section of the country and that entire section of the electorate. Like it gets you out of this political stalemate that we've been stuck in for the last like 20 years. Well, it is interesting. I was thinking, you know, about one of the provisions in the in the bill that people have called out, which is, you know, essentially a way to protect something called the Mountain Valley um, Pipeline that runs that is, it runs from uh, West Virginia to Virginia, I guess, to to deliver fracked natural gas. And this is sort of a pet project of mansions, and people say that the some of the provisions there, in terms of the permitting reform and 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 other things, are a way to get that um, pipeline through. And of course, you know, you've been a, a Imogen among the proponents of you know having to kill off pipelines because they're essentially, you know, locking in fossil fuel infrastructure for you know twenty, forty, fifty years. Um, uh, so, what do you think about that? Yeah, again, I I don't I think from an investor standpoint we should not be capitalizing and financing the building of infrastructure that makes no sense over the long term. But that's an investment position. That's not a public policy position, right? Like if I have to... So could that, uh, that, that, that's what I was getting at. Can, can, can that be in the bill, but either, but the, either the political situation, you know, you know, people lying down on, on, in front of bulldozers kind of thing, because um, uh, it does cross a bunch of, you know, um, creeks and, and, and things and has a whole, a whole environmental footprint that is what he's trying to get around with this permitting reform. So that's one issue, of course. But the broader issue, which you're raising, is maybe they're going to be stranded assets and not make financial sense. And so it can be they can have whatever legislation they want, but but nobody's going to nobody's going to want to ship fracked natural gas somehow. Exactly. And that's what we already have with like a bunch of pipelines. So is it ideal? No, but if it gets us much further along in the right direction, then it makes a lot of sense. And then, you know, combine that with the sort of the the macro condition, right? And the recognition that, you know, the globe needs energy independence from, you know, Russia and the Middle East, like, 
again, the, you have to accept the sort of pragmatic reality that that means more energy production in the, the US and that not all of that energy production is going to be renewables as much as we would like it to be. And then we can get to things like, you know, carbon capture and other things, which, you know, are also similarly being being critiqued as, you know, a way to sort of extend the life of fossil fuel plants and, and, and other things. But again, if you want to, you know, run the economy, you're going to have to, you know, capture some carbon. And so maybe we do want to um, uh, get that business, that, that, that industry up and running. And there's some pretty hefty um, subsidies for, for that kind of thing that are really going to kick off that industry. There's, there's similar for hydrogen um, is, is set for takeoff, similar for, you know, things like, you know, um, you know, green cement and, and things are, are, are set to take off. There's some very game changing investments between this and the infrastructure act. Um, uh, I think we're going to see a, a, a huge boom in, in, in investment, you know, following this money. And, and I think that gets to the point of like, what is different between ESG and sustainability, right? And this is where I kind of think the, this, that there is room for optimism, right? That, that, that the legislation that we've seen passed is create will create investment opportunities in the sustainable economy and that you're going to see capital move into that and that in turn will will drive investment returns right this isn't this isn't an ideological discussion any longer this is an an investment and a markets discussion and, and i think that's that's sort of ultimately what leaves me with some hope and optimism that that effectively, you know, the, the markets and an investment will out and we will, you know, if we, we will transition to a clean economy. I, I agree with you, but with one with one friendly amendment, Imogen, which is it's an investment and, and economics discussion guided by what's now a much more um, activist hand on the part of the government in terms of steering and um, and 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 nudging um, with what essentially is industrial policy towards you know towards um, towards towards the way this transition um, uh, uh, is going to play out. Well, on that note of optimism that Imogen has in the power of markets to solve all of our problems, I think that's a good place to end it. Thank you so much, Imogen Rose-Smith. Thank you both. And thank you, David Bank. And thanks to you both again. That's going to do it for this week's Impact Briefing. Thanks to Imogen, David, and our producer extraordinaire, Isaac Silk. Ready to try Impact Alpha? Sign up for Impact Alpha open, free of charge, directly at impactalpha.com. Want to go deeper? Grab a subscription and get full access to the site, agents of impact calls, and the daily email brief. Right now, we're offering everybody $100 off. Just go to impactalpha.com slash subscribe and choose an annual subscription. I'm Brian Walsh, head of sustainability for the capital markets firm TPI Cap. Until next time, take good care.